Amen. I'll invite you to turn your Bibles to Genesis chapter 1 this evening. Uh, we've been uh, out of town. My family and I have been out of town for the last uh, couple of Wednesday nights. But before we left, the, um, uh, we were teaching a little bit on a um, subject called spiritual authority and dominion. And there are some things here that, um, that I can't get away from. I, uh, I, I don't know that I have a message so much to minister this evening as uh, it's just some things that, that are rolling around on the inside of me that I believe God wants us to see. I, um, uh, when I say wants us to see, I mean wants me to see. There are, um, there are some interesting things that uh, it would be well for you to, uh, to be aware of concerning the way that spiritual things work. The Bible talks about meditating in the Word to get it down on the inside of you. The Bible identifies meditating as not some Eastern meditation ritual where you empty your mind and hum or sit in silence or, or something like that. But the Bible identifies meditating or the Bible way to meditate is to speak the word. Because the more you speak the word, the more it uh, becomes alive on the inside of you. And uh, I really have a sense tonight that uh, there's some things that we've said before that we need to say again so that we get a picture of what God's intent really is. In Genesis chapter 1 and verse 26, here's a, um, a conference of the Godhead. God said, let us, us meaning God the Father, Jesus Christ the Son. Of course, he's in his pre-incarnate state at that point. Uh, and the Holy Spirit make up the, the conference of the Godhead that's, that's having a meeting and in this meeting, in this conference, God reveals his plan, which was formed, the Bible says, from the foundations of the world. Now, the things that have just happened in the preceding verses is what we might call, is, well, it's what the, is commonly known as the creation story, but it's really the recreation story. Because the Bible tells us there was an earth here before. The Bible tells us there was activity here. It tells us that Satan had a position of authority. Perhaps he was the ruler of the world that existed before um, God created the earth. But God took the earth in its chaotic form without form and void. It became without form and void. That's not the way God created it. But apparently through the devil being cast down and through his rebellion, as a result of his rebellion against God with a third of the angels, the earth becomes chaotic without form and void. There's no order to it. And so God takes that earth in a without form and void condition, and he recreates the earth. Now, the Bible says that God's plan for Jesus to redeem mankind was formed before the foundations of the world. It's not talking about before the recreation. It's talking about before the earth was ever formed, before God ever made the heavens and the earth, before there was anything. Now, how long ago was that? Well, we don't know. We do know that the recreation of the earth, literally Adam, was about 6,000 years ago. But some people have a problem with that and, and, uh, and, and say, well, medical or uh, scientific evidence shows that the earth is millions of years, maybe hundreds of millions of years old. Well, I don't have a problem with that because the Bible doesn't tell us how long ago the earth was formed. It just tells us how long ago there was a recreation of the earth. So however many hundreds of thousands, hundreds of millions, whatever, However long ago it was that the heavens and the earth were first created out of nothing, 
the Big Bang Theory, as it's sometimes known. God's plan was to redeem mankind. And so the importance of this conference in verse 26 of Genesis chapter 1 is the revelation of God's intent. And that's what I want you to get. I want you to get what God intended. He said, let us make man in our own image. We've looked at some other scriptures, Psalm 8 and Hebrews 2, where it tells us that the angels saw God creating man, heard of his plan to create man, and were astonished. They said, what is man that thou art mindful of him? What is this thing called man that you're going to create? This was something that didn't exist before. So whatever was here in the world that was, that became without form and void, that Satan had some part in, the angels had some part in, and the Bible tells us about trafficking or merchandising. It tells us there was business activity. It tells us there was normal activity of life as we would know it or we would understand it. Whoever was carrying these things out, it wasn't man. They were spirit beings. Angels are spirit beings, but it wasn't man. So the angels are astonished when God said, let us make man in our own image. You're going to do what? They speak up. What is man? They didn't understand God's plan. Well, God revealed it. He said, let us make man in our own image and after our likeness. Now, I want you to notice image and likeness are two different things. We usually attach one of those words, probably likeness, to physical appearance. But it doesn't even mean that. Now, don't get me wrong. I have no doubt that man has an appearance that is similar to God's appearance. The Bible says when God showed himself to Moses, Moses asked to see God's face. Or Moses literally said, show me your glory. God said, you can't look upon my face and live. So he took him and put him in the cleft of the rock and put his hand over him. Well, God must have a hand then. Well, he said, you couldn't see my face, so God must have a face. So it says he put him in the cleft of the rocks, put his hand over him to protect him and shield him. And he said he allowed Moses to see his back parts. Well, man has back parts, doesn't he? And you'd have to be able to distinguish back parts from front parts. Or else all parts would be the same. It sounds a lot like God's appearance has the similitude of man's appearance. But that's not what likeness means here. It's taught likeness literally means sameness. In other words, it's saying God's plan is revealed that man would be made as much like God as God could possibly make him. Now, after his image, the word image literally means nature. So God, after having made the earth or recreated the earth, put the trees and the grass and everything that's here to produce after his own kind. Now God produces after his own kind. He creates man after his image or with the same nature, spirit being nature, with a sameness to himself. And notice he says the reason why he's doing this. Let us make man in our image after our likeness and let them have dominion over the fish of the sea and over the fowl of the air and over the cattle and over the earth, over all the earth and over every creeping thing that creepeth upon the earth. So God created man in his own image. In the image of God created he him, male and female, and 31 different varieties created he them. 
God wasn't confused about gender. Man may be. But God created a male and a female. Now, this goes back to appearance. Because in Genesis chapter 2, it tells us more specifically how God created man and how he made man a living being. It says he formed, not created, but formed man from the dust of the earth. See, creation is taking something from nothing, making something from nothing. He didn't make man from nothing. He took the dust of the ground that was already here and formed man like you'd form clay. So he gave man an appearance. He gave man a body, prepared for him a body that had the appearance of God by all accounts. But that didn't make him man. It said he breathed into man and man became a living soul. So what was it about man that fits this likeness? Notice it says in the beginning, God created male and female, created he him in his own image. Well, which one looks like God, male or female? See, it can't be talking about appearance. It's talking about sameness. It's talking about nature. It's talking about being a spirit being in God's class, unlike anything else that he created. So God created the male and female. What was it that made man man? It wasn't the body that he fashioned. I'm sure when God fashioned Adam's body, he made it perfect, without flaw, without imperfection. I'm sure he was a good-looking guy. God wouldn't make somebody ugly, would he? But that didn't make him man. What was it that made him man? The fact that God breathed into him the breath of life and he became a living soul, one translation says. Now, don't get me wrong. I'm not saying that man became man because he was a spirit being. That wasn't what gave man his place. Notice in verse 26 again it says, Let us make man in our own image for one purpose and one purpose only God reveals for him to have dominion. Man was created to have spiritual authority and dominion over the earth. That's what he was made for. Now the Bible says that God never changes. So if God's original intent has specified clearly was for man to have dominion and authority here on the earth, what do you think God's intent is today? Much of the church world must think that God wants us just to get along, do the best we can, struggle through life, struggle through circumstances, and finally make it to heaven. Well, if that's the case, then God has changed and the Bible is a lie. God's original intent is his present intent. God's original intent is his eternal intent. If he never changes, it always has to be the same. Let us make man in our own image and after our likeness and let them have dominion. Let them have dominion over all the earth. I know it makes some of the church world uncomfortable, but it's a simple fact, and it's undisputed if the Bible is true. It is an undisputed fact that man was created for one and only one purpose, and that was for dominion, to exercise authority and dominion here in the earth.
Now, we know that that didn't hold. We know that the command was given in Genesis chapter 2, I think it's verse 17, God told him that he could eat of every fruit of the tree or eat the fruit of every tree in the garden with one exception. The tree of the knowledge of good and evil he was commanded not to eat thereof. For in the day thou eatest thereof, thou shalt surely die. Well, Adam disobeyed God and ate of the tree. Well, what death did he die? He didn't die physically. The Bible says Adam lived for 930 years after the fall. So what death is God talking about? He can't be talking about physical death. He's got to be talking about spiritual death. We know that to be true because Romans chapter 5 and verse 12 says, Wherefore, as by one man, talking about Adam, sin entered the world and death by sin. Now, what death is that talking about? Is Paul talking about in Romans 5.12? Same death as Genesis 2.17, spiritual death. So as by one man, sin entered the world and death, spiritual death passed upon all men. So man, mankind, became subject to spiritual death, the same spiritual death that Adam experienced. Now, Adam's still a spirit being. Now he's spiritually dead because he's disobeyed God, but he's still a spirit being. He's spiritually dead, which means he's separated from God, but he's still a spirit being. He was still created to have authority and dominion on the earth. That'd be easy to say that God made man as a spirit being for the purpose of having dominion and authority. Well, that's true in one sense. But since Adam lost that authority, from that time on, the Bible refers to Satan as the God of this world or the one that has authority and dominion. Then it wasn't the fact that Adam was a spirit being or made in the image and likeness of God alone in that respect that he was a spirit being. John 4, 24 says God is a spirit. Well, man was made a spirit just like him. But now that his spirit is estranged or separated from God, he's lost that authority. Now, folks, this is really important for you to understand. And I I don't just mean understand it from our heads. I think we all get it from a, a mental standpoint. But this is important for us to see spiritually. And that is the position of authority, the place of authority of God's original intent for man, then and now and forever, is based not on the fact that we are spirit beings alone, but that we are spirit beings in union with God. For as long as Adam's spirit was united with God, his creator, he had authority and dominion on the earth. Well, that's exactly what he lost when he sinned. That's exactly what Romans 5, 12 is telling us passed upon us, all of mankind. Spiritual death estranged or separated us from God. Man lost that position of authority. One of the most interesting... uh, Scriptures in Jesus' ministry, to me, is the fact that Jesus taught people on how to have authority. Now, this was a message that was strictly for the Jews because the Gentiles couldn't exercise authority because they had no covenant with God. They had no way to God. They had no way to, to, uh, to cover their sins. The Jews couldn't get rid of their sins 
that they could cover them to the ritual sacrifice every year, the Day of Atonement sacrifice. And so Jesus went around teaching people how to have or how to hold authority, how to exercise authority. And it astonished everybody because they saw Jesus doing great works. They saw Jesus doing miracles. And so we would expect that Jesus would teach that he had authority. But that's not what the Bible says that he did. The Bible says that Jesus taught that man had authority. or In other words, that man was originally intended to have authority. And even through the Old Testament, the Old Covenant law of Moses, man keeping the law of Moses and operating under a covenant that's not nearly as good as what we've got. Because for us, our spirits have been reunited with God through the new birth. 2 Corinthians 5.17 says, Therefore, if any man be in Christ, he's a new creature, a new creation. Behold, all things have passed away, old things have passed away, and all things, spiritual things, have become new. In other words, that new birth reunites us with God through the work, the finished work of Jesus on the cross in the same way that God breathing into Adam's body made from the dust of the earth made him a living soul. Adam didn't deserve authority, but it wasn't based on anything that he had done. He had no past. At the point in time that God breathed in him and he became a living soul, a spirit being united with God himself. Adam finds himself in a place where God's intent is revealed to have dominion and authority in the earth. The same thing's true with you and me at the new birth. Now, it's an interesting thing because uh, mankind has figured out some things. Mankind has figured out that the, the um, determining factor for success or failure in life is not a person's ability. It's not their gifts, talents, special skills, or anything of the sort. It's the way they see themselves. They found this out in sports, and sports psychologists are making millions or hundreds of millions of dollars a year talking to these ball players who are making millions of dollars a year themselves about how to see themselves successful, seeing themselves victorious. They don't talk to them about improving their skills. A sports psychologist doesn't know how to do that. But they give them tools, or at least attempt to, to help them see themselves succeeding. We see the same thing in business. You've got these sales seminars and business seminars where companies spend tons and tons of money to send their employees so that the, they can be taught how to think and therefore see themselves successful. It's expanded in recent years to this life coach thing where people are coming from all over and filling arenas by the tens of thousands 
where somebody comes out with super high energy and tells people, you can do it. And just buy my $300 tape series and it'll help remind you that you can do it. And in each case, they're trying to do the same thing. They're trying to create for the the hearers an image of themselves that's different than the image that they already have. In other words, it's how you see yourself that makes the difference in whether or not you're going to attain or live up to God's original and, and eternal intent for you regarding spiritual authority and dominion. Turn with me over to Philippians chapter 2. One of the things that makes man unique is that he's the only thing that God created that can communicate with words. Now, I believe animals communicate in different ways, but not with words. My dogs have a morning ritual. They will stand at the door of my bedroom and beat on the door with their tails until I wake up so I feed them. They'll push on the door with their nose. There's just a little bit of give to my bedroom door and it rattles and they know exactly that it's waking me up. And they act differently in the mornings than they do any other time of the day. They're communicating to me that they're ready for their morning feeding and I give them some vitamins and stuff like that that are dog treats and, and, and so forth. And they're, they just won't start their day without them. Well, they're communicating, but it's not with words. I have a sense through experience of what they want because of the way that they're acting. But man was created to communicate with words. And words are the one thing in the universe that create images or portray a picture. So the means that God gave man to communicate not only with one another but to communicate with God and to feed his own spirit because meditating or speaking the word of God feeds your spirit is designed to do so through the, through the creation or the portrayal of images and pictures because everything is about how you see yourself. You know what renewing your mind to the word is all about? It's about seeing yourself with what the word says you are. Or as the word says you are. Notice in Philippians chapter 2 verse 5. It says, let this mind be in you. Which was also in Christ Jesus. Who being in the form. This word form means image. It means nature. Who being in the form or the nature of God, thought it not robbery to be equal with God, but made himself of no reputation and took upon him the form of a servant, the image, the nature of a servant, and was made in the likeness of men. And being found in fashion as a man, he humbled himself and became obedient unto death, even the death of the cross. I want you to realize something, folks. The only thing that the Bible identifies, the only thing that the Bible identifies as the reason 
why Jesus fulfilled God's plan for his life even to the point of dying on the cross is because of the way he saw himself. Now, we know in these life coach seminars and business seminars and stuff like that, we know that there's a small percentage of people that will take a hold of what they, they hear and get results. And then they become part of the testimonial pool to try to convince everybody else that you can do it too. Well, why is it a small percentage, only a small percentage of people that, that attain all the great success that they're, they're touting that everybody can have? Well, while they're there at the convention, everybody gets so pumped up. Everybody gets so excited. They begin to become convinced. Yeah, if they can do it, I can do it too. Convinced to the point where they're willing to shell out whatever hundreds of dollars for the tapes and the materials and, and so forth to help them continue. Now, I'm not putting anybody down. I'm not saying it's the wrong thing. I'm not even saying that they're telling people the wrong thing or an untruth. By saying that everybody can succeed. I believe that everybody can. But the reality is very few do. And the question is why? Well because even though they get excited at the conventions. When they get back home reality sets in. There's nobody there to pump them up anymore. There's nobody there to remind them of the picture of themselves as a success. They put the tape series in and they hear the words, but it doesn't have the same effect. There's not the same feeling. There's not the same energy in the room with the tape player as there is in the convention with thousands and thousands of people. Loud music blaring and lights enhancing the atmosphere and so forth. And so eventually, the majority of people turn loose of the image of success that was portrayed at the convention. And folks, that's exactly what James chapter 1 talks about. James chapter 1, look at verse 22. Actually, it probably should start in verse 21. James chapter 1, verse 21. Here's the same thing in the spiritual application. I don't like the translation in the King James of verse 21 because it's, it's difficult, unnecessarily difficult in my opinion. But it says, wherefore, lay apart, set aside, in other words, all filthiness and superfluity of naughtiness. That just means the things of the world, the distractions of the world. I wish they'd just translated it that way. Lay apart the distractions of the world. And receive with meekness the engrafted word which is able to save your souls. Now he's writing to people that are born again. James is writing to brethren. Specifically Jews that were scattered abroad according to early part of chapter 1. So he's writing to people that are saved. People that have been born again. Made new creatures in Christ Jesus. For whom old things passed away and all things became new. He's writing to people that, whose spirits are reunited with God through the new birth. Spiritual death is a thing of the past for them. The failure and condemnation of spiritual death, the curse of poverty and sickness and so forth is a thing of the past for them. 
as far as God is concerned, as far as the work of salvation is concerned. Now, mankind may not live up to it, but as far as God is concerned, when you were saved, you were set free from every aspect of spiritual death. You became just as Adam was in the beginning before he fell. You're a brand new creature, a brand new creation of God. The Spirit of God has breathed life into you just like God breathed life into Adam. In Adam's case, there was a spirit that was placed in man. In your and my case, there was a spirit that was replaced. The Bible says the old dead heart, stony heart spirit was taken out of us and a new spirit was put in his place. A spirit that's alive under God and in union with him. So we're just as brand new as Adam was. Now immediately the devil will come and whisper in your, your ear and say, yeah, but you've missed it since then. That has nothing to do with the way you were born. Absolutely nothing to do with what you were born into. Has nothing to do with your nature. See, when you and I sin... We're not sinning because our nature is spiritual death. We've been born again. We're sinning because we haven't trained our flesh properly. That's all it is. So there are distractions in the world. Think about it from the devil's standpoint. Most of the church sees themselves as sinners saved by grace. You were a sinner because of spiritual death, but you were saved by grace. So you're no longer a sinner. But the devil has most of the church world, worldwide, seeing themselves in a different way than the Bible says God sees us and that the Bible says we should see ourselves. So what has he done? He's ensured failure. For God's people, when God created the, them, us, recreated us in Christ Jesus to have dominion and authority here on the earth. So it says in verse 21, wherefore lay aside all the distractions of the world. The devil knows that if he can distract you, he can keep you from doing the thing that will make you a success in every area. And receive with meekness the engrafted word which is able to save your souls. In other words, he's saying receiving the word will make a change in you even though you've been born again. Well, what change is made? It changes the picture of how you see yourself. Receiving with meekness the engrafted word. The the word engrafted is important. Because it means the word taking hold of you and you taking hold of it. It means you seeing yourself the way God sees you and accepting what God says to be true about you and about the authority that he's given you because of what you've been created to be is true and real. In other words, he's talking about a change of picture, a change of image on the inside of you. You seeing yourself as the success that God sees you and says that you are. 
We could say it this way. It means you seeing yourself like Jesus saw himself. Because Jesus fulfilled the plan of God for his life because he saw himself as God said that he was. You can't see yourself the way the devil tells you you are and fulfill God's plan for your life. You're going to have to change the image. So he says, receive with meekness the engrafted word which is able to save your souls or change the picture on the inside of you. But, here's the caution, be you doers of the word and not hearers only. For if any be a hearer of the word and not a doer, he's like unto a man beholding his natural face in a glass. He's like the guy at the convention. There's a lot of excitement. There's a lot of enthusiasm. There are other people that have made it. He gets excited. We've been this way in church services. We've experienced the presence of God to such a degree in a church service. We've been so encouraged by the word of God on occasions that we can just float home. Don't need our cars. We can just float home, get there on our own. But we wake up tomorrow morning and it doesn't feel the same. Reality sets in. Real life circumstances, problems wait for us at the door. What are we going to do? Well, some people will take hold of the word and continue to see themselves the way that the Bible says they are. The way that God says they are, the way that's true and real. But most people, like the ones that go to the life coach conventions, most people allow the circumstances of life to pull away them, them to pull them away from seeing themselves in the way that was portrayed. They allow circumstances of life to pull them away from seeing themselves as the word says they are for if any man be a hearer of the word and not a doer he's like unto a man beholding his natural face in the glass he sees what he's supposed to be he gets excited about it for he beholds himself and goes his way and straightway forgets what manner of man he was and folks that's everything about what the devil's attacks are about the devil is designed his attacks to affect the one and only one thing, the most important thing that keeps you from being the success that God says you are in Christ Jesus. He brings circumstances for the purpose and with the intent of canceling out the picture that the word of God portrays. Remember, words are designed to create and portray pictures or images And the word of God will create an image on the inside of you of the way God sees you. That which is true, that which is real. But then the devil will bring physical realities to portray a different picture. Everything that the devil does is designed to make you see yourself differently than the way the word says you are. Everything. So the forgetful hearer goes his way and straightway forgets what manner of man he was. But here are the ones that succeed. But whoso looketh into the perfect law of liberty and continueth therein. Continueth therein. He being not a forgetful hearer but a doer of the work This man shall be blessed in his deed. So what is a doer of the word? A doer of the word is the one who continues to see himself 
according to the picture or the image portrayed by the word of God. That's a doer of the word. Jesus talking to his disciples said, if you continue in my word, then you shall know the truth and the truth will make you free. Most people quote that without the first part and you shall know the truth and the truth will make you free. And according to these scriptures and experience tells us the same, the majority of people don't know the truth. They may know about the truth, but there's a vast difference between knowing about the truth and knowing the truth. Knowing the truth means you've allowed the word of God to be engrafted into your inner man. You've continued in the word of God to a degree to where it's taken hold of you, to where you see yourself as the word portrays you and describes you in spite of circumstance. Because the word of God says Jesus took your infirmities and bore your sicknesses and with his stripes you're healed. You see yourself as healed even though the physical realities, temporary realities in the physical realm may contradict that. That's a doer of the word. Now how do we come to the place where the truth sets us free? There's only one way and that's by continuing in the word. What does it mean to continue in the word? It means to meditate in the word of God until you see yourself the way the word says you are. And for the man or woman who sees themselves by a deliberate choice, by an act of their will, continues to see themselves the way the word of God says, Jesus said there's nothing impossible unto you. The exercise of faith is the exercise of dominion. And Jesus said that your words spoken from your heart, that which you believe, will make the impossible commonplace for you. Why? Because it's the exercise of authority and dominion on the earth. Oh, there's so much for us to see here, folks. So much for us to see. You know, there are things that we've never seen that through descriptions we could recognize, come to recognize. You could describe your car to me and I could find it in the parking lot if you gave me a detailed enough description. Even though I may not have any idea what you drive until you tell me. In the same way, we can find the truth of who we are and what belongs to us in Christ Jesus. Through the descriptions, which is pretty detailed. The descriptions of the word of God. But that's a fight. Let me show you one last scripture before we close. And that's over in 2 Corinthians chapter 10. Notice the beginning in verse uh, 3. Paul says, 2 Corinthians 10, 3, For though we walk in the flesh, we do not war after the flesh. The fight's not with flesh and blood. Well, where is the fight then? The fight's in the spirit realm. The devil is working or fighting against you in the spirit realm to try to change or create wrong pictures on the inside of you. Because if he can get you seeing the wrong picture of yourself 
and your possibilities, he can keep you from living up to who God says you are. In other words, there's two pictures. The picture that the devil in the world paints or portrays and the picture that God through his word portrays for you. You're going to have to choose which one is true and which one you're going to live by. For though we walk in the flesh, we do not war after the flesh. For the weapons of our warfare are not carnal, earthly, natural. But they're mighty through God to the pulling down of strongholds. A stronghold is a place of defense. You can pull down the devil's defenses. In other words, the place that the devil has created as a defensive position to keep you out of the blessings and the success that God's word has promised you can be pulled down through these spiritual weapons. Well, what are these spiritual weapons? Notice verse 5, casting down imaginations. Casting down imaginations. Please notice, folks, that your imaginations are the source or the center for the pictures that you carry of yourself in life. Think about Adam when God breathed into his body uh, the breath of life and he became a living soul. I'm certain that Adam instantly had an intellect that was staggering. He couldn't be united with God in spirit and be dumb. Yet there were a lot of things that he was ignorant of. The Bible talks about him, God coming down in the cool of the day and talking with him in the garden. What's he talking to him about? I have no doubt that he's telling him about the things that he created. He's telling him about the earth that he has been given dominion over. He's explaining to him how things work. He's probably talking physics. Probably talking laws of nature. Probably talking to him about the animals. And all the works of his hands. He may be talking to him about his eternal intent for man to have authority. May even be talking to him about his enemies. He's already told him to guard and protect the dress and keep or guard and protect the garden. There's no enemy. There's nothing to guard and protect it against. So he's talking to Adam and satisfying his ignorance. There's a difference between being dumb and being ignorant. He's bringing Adam knowledge things that he didn't already know how's he doing that through words and the words that God speaks to him creates an image on the inside of him as every word does it creates an image or a picture that's why the Bible says take heed what we hear don't listen to things that paint the wrong picture So what are these mighty weapons that are given to us to to defeat the devil's defenses? Or, instead of defenses, let's use this term, defeat the things that the devil uses to keep us out of God's plan for our lives. The success that the new birth is, is ordained for us to walk in. Well, that's what we need to do, Pastor Mike. We need to have special prayer meetings to defeat the devil. That's not the weapon God said he gave you. My prayer is important. But he didn't say you defeat the devil by praying. 
And too often, the church at large is praying that God will do something about the devil, which he never said that he would do. Now, the Bible says that you can defeat the devil's works and activities against you. First and foremost, by casting down, literally rejecting, and therefore replacing imaginations. The wrong pictures. The wrong images. Casting down imaginations and every high thing. High means proud thing. God considers pride to be something different than we define it. Pride, as far as the Bible is concerned, spiritual pride, scriptural pride, is anything that that holds itself up against the Word of God. In other words, anything that says it's true instead of the Word. And the church has got a lot of thoughts that are contrary to the Word that they've been holding on to for hundreds and hundreds of years. But these weapons are given us to change our thinking. Casting down imaginations in every high thing that exalts itself against the knowledge of God. Remember what Jesus said about knowledge? If you continue in my word, then you shall know the truth and the truth will set you free. So it's right knowledge that you obtain through the word of God that sets you free. So it's saying the same thing, just in a different term. Our weapons are to change the pictures on the inside of us. To change what we see. What we see of ourselves, what we see about God. What we see about the devil. Casting down imaginations and every high thing that exalts itself against the knowledge of God. And bringing into captivity. That means you're going to have to put it behind bars. Don't let it run free. Capture it, bringing into captivity every thought to the obedience of Christ. What is the obedience of Christ? Well, the Bible says Jesus was the Word made flesh. So the obedience of Christ would be anything in line with the Word. And every thought that contradicts the Word has to be brought into captivity because thoughts are unspoken words designed to create images. See, the devil knows that the, that the way to defeat you is in your mind. The devil knows that the way to defeat you is to speak to your mind and portray a picture or an image of yourself as a failure. Well, how can we tell if we've taken hold of the wrong thoughts? If we've allowed the wrong images to take root? Sooner or later, you'll say what you see. Most people say what they see in the physical realm. They'll see sickness in their body, so they'll say they're sick. Why is that? Because they've allowed the picture of physical sickness to dominate everything else. But the Bible says the spiritual person, the person that's continued in the word and found the truth, in the face of physical sickness and disease, we'll say what the Word of God says because the image portrayed by the Word of God, meditated on, allowed to take root on the inside of his spirit, 
is a greater truth than the physical, physical fact of sickness and or disease. Let us make man in our own image, he said, and let them have dominion. Let them have dominion. Let them have dominion. What's the exercise of dominion? The spoken words. The words spoken from your heart is the means whereby you exercise dominion in this earth. Whether spoken from a positive image planted by the word of God within you or a negative image planted by the thoughts of the evil one. Your words are the exercise of dominion in your life. Let's pray. Father, thank you so much for your word. Thank you, Lord, for the privilege that we have to be doers thereof. We thank you, Lord, in Jesus' precious name that we've been created to have dominion over the earth, not to compare ourselves one with another, but to exercise dominion in this earth in the name of Jesus. We speak what the Word of God says. The Word of God says that Jesus took our infirmities and bore our sicknesses and with his stripes were healed. So we say from our hearts that healing is ours. The Word of God says that whatever we put our hand to shall prosper. So we say that the work of our hands is prosperous. We say because the Bible says Nothing shall be impossible unto us because we're in Christ Jesus and we're filled with his word. Thank you, Father, that your words are life unto those of us that find them. Allow them to take root in our hearts and speak them with our mouths and their health to all of our flesh. Thank you, Father, that we are your children made in your image and in your likeness, created to have a dominion in the earth and for the exercise of spiritual authority. In Jesus' precious name, amen. 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 Well, there's a lot here for us to see. I'm not sure we're through with this yet. Hallelujah. Well, thank you for being with us. Have a great week. Hopefully we'll see you Sunday. Amen.